If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would invite you to turn with me to John chapter 1. We'll be taking a brief break from our series in Luke uh, to look at John this morning, and particularly uh, this little baby in the manger named Jesus, who John calls the Word. The Word. Uh, In John chapter 1, you'll notice that we'll be looking at several different verses, and so I would invite you uh, to uh, follow along as we skip through this chapter just a bit. If you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, John is one of the four gospel writers, uh, one of the four men that gives us something of an eyewitness account concerning the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning we have this perspective from John uh, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, As I read, I would invite you to stand with me in reverence and respect for the word that God has given to us and preserved for us. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And finally, verse 16, For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank You that in Your great wisdom, In your amazing grace, you have given us Jesus Christ. We thank you that this morning, and in all honesty, every single morning of our lives, we can be aware of his person and work. We can depend upon the salvation that he has secured for his people. Help us to give attention this morning to your word and to not simply learn from it, but we pray through the power of your spirit to be changed by it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Just a few moments ago, we heard the choir sing a beautiful Christmas carol that begins with an important question. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? If you slow down for just a minute, then you'll realize that we're asking an identity question when we sing this carol. Who is this baby? Why is he here? And what is so unique or so important or so spectacular about this particular child that has been born in a barn to a teenage mother out of wedlock? Well, the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all work to answer these questions for us. They tell us about Jesus, his character, his personality, his words, and his works. And if you are particularly familiar with the Gospels, then you know that all of the Gospels, in their own way, begin with an origin story. Matthew and Luke give us the traditional Christmas details, the genealogies, the stable, the shepherds, the wise men. Mark's is a very concise gospel. 
That means that he doesn't begin with the manger. Instead, he moves forward to the inauguration, the beginning of Jesus' public ministry at the Jordan River. John, however, begins in a different way, with a lengthy description of a character introduced to us here only as the Word. During our time together this morning, we're going to take a look at this Word from four different angles. We're going to look at his identity. Second, we'll see the deity of the Word. We'll look at the humanity of the Word, and finally, at the great glory of the Word of God. So first, here from John chapter 1, let's give our attention to the identity of the Word. Who is this person exactly, and why does John give him what to us is a very cryptic name? Well, John actually keeps us in suspense for the majority of chapter 1. Listen again to the opening with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John goes on to tell us that the Word is the Creator, and the life, and the light. In fact, it's not until verse 17 that we actually learn that the Word is, in fact, none other than Jesus Christ. So, if John repeatedly leads with this title, the Word, instead of simply saying Jesus, he must have a point, right? Well, yes. John wants his readers to understand that Jesus is, in fact, different. He is the Word of God. Word is is simply another way of saying communication or revelation. So what's the idea here? Jesus Christ, the Word, is the full and the final and the complete revelation of God to man. Here is the showcase, the display, the very presentation of God. This means that Jesus Christ is not simply another prophet, or just another teacher, or another counselor, or another miracle worker, or just another nice guy that happened to live in our world. Jesus doesn't just give us the Word. He is the very Word of God. If you hang around the church long enough, you'll probably hear somebody say something about natural revelation and special revelation. Those are just fancy phrases to help us understand that Christians believe that God tells us about himself through both the natural world or creation and through the special revelation that is the Bible. But we must never forget together that the greatest and final revelation of God to man is not contained in the trees of the field or even in the words on a page. God's greatest revelation to you and I, to the living world, is the living, breathing Jesus Christ. The Word. I think if we're being honest with each other, which I'm learning more and more the older I get is absolutely essential, If we're being honest, then we have to admit that Christianity can get kind of complicated sometimes. There's a lot to learn, and a lot to read, and a lot to memorize, and then you've got all of this lifestyle stuff, 
And then there's confusion questions that come up and the particulars of worship that have to be uh, ironed out. And then we have to start thinking about all these different denominations. And, and you see, if we're not careful, somewhere between the stained glass windows and the commentaries and our definitions of complementarianism, you know what happens? We begin to lose sight of Jesus. So here at the beginning of his gospel, John is saying to us, pay attention. Look and listen. The word is not a system of doctrine or a set of behaviors. The word is not a feeling or an experience. The word is a person. Jesus Christ. And he and he alone is the central figure in all of human history. But there's more. Even right here in the first two, two verses, look at the deity or the divine nature of the Word as John explains it. Again, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So not only is Jesus the revelation of God, he is God. And John doesn't back away from this reality either. He makes an explicit statement in verse 1. The Word was God. It doesn't get much clearer. Jesus, the Word, is fully divine. He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. The Word knows all things. He is present in all places. He is capable of doing all things that conform to His holy character. And as a result, He is worthy of our worship. But you probably notice that John says something more about the deity of the Word here. He says twice that the Word was with God. That's not a statement of being. That is relationship language. So we do well to remember that Jesus is God, but he is also what? The second person of the Trinity. God is triune. He eternally exists as one substance and three persons. The Father, Jesus, or the Word, and the Holy Spirit. In verse 14, John... John gives us a little more relationship talk. The word is described as what? The only son of the father. So why all this family and with and belonging stuff? Why does John go out of his way to tell us that the eternal, unbroken relationship that Jesus shares with the father is a real and important fact? Well, do me a favor. Now, this may be a little odd in the context of a sermon, but I, I want you to hang on to your questions and ideas about that for just a second, okay? We're going to come back to them in just a few minutes and connect some dots, hopefully. In verse 14, we learn something else about Jesus that's really essential. Read it again with me. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Stop right there. So the Word is God. But He's also a man. 
So, so let's, let's actually look at the humanity of the word for just a moment. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is a mystery. <laughs> but Jesus, fully divine Jesus, became man through the work of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He really, truly took on flesh. And what else? Jesus dwelt among us. Some of you may know that the word that John uses for dwelt here can also be translated tabernacled or settled. So Jesus, the word, he became us, and don't miss this, he lived with us. That's relationship language again. And it's important because these of us and with us ideas means that Jesus, who is fully man, he knows our pain and our suffering, our finitude, our brokenness, our sorrow, and he knows all about our pursuit of meaning and purpose and wholeness. How? Because he has lived it and he has seen it and he is felt it. There's an apocryphal story about the French Revolution that goes something like this. In the 1780s, the French people were absolutely desperate. The country was broke because the king, Louis XVI, had been on a major spending spree, and as a result, he had just raised the taxes. The people were starving because there had been two decades of terrible drought and bad harvest. So the common people, they have no money, and they have no food. Specifically, they have no grain with which to make bread, which was a staple in their diet. So in response to this deep, legitimate crisis, Louis XVI's young queen, Marie Antoinette, supposedly said, let them eat cake. Things didn't end well for Marie Antoinette. But why? Because she didn't care. Because she didn't understand. Because she didn't know. Because she was a disconnected, disinterested monarch. But what about the Word? What about this Jesus? Is he distant and disinterested? No. He became flesh and dwelt among us. That means today, where you are living your life, Jesus knows how you are hurting. Jesus knows how you are trying to cope with disappointment right now. He knows the loss that you feel in this moment. He knows the pain of facing a holiday season without a loved one. He knows the frustration of work in a fallen world. You might feel all alone, and I mean all alone, in your struggles today. You may feel all alone in your sadness or your confusion today. But you are not alone. Because the Word became flesh. Jesus knows you and he knows us because he is us. The author of Hebrews reminds us that he is like us in every way, yet without sin. 
You can probably tell along the way this morning that I've gotten a little excited about a few things. There's a reason for that. Because we're getting closer to connecting those dots. But before we do that, we need to look at one final thing. We need to see the glory of the Word here in John 1. So look at verses 14 and 16 with me again. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. There's quite a few things about the glory of Jesus, the Word, that stand out here. First, it's a revealed glory, right? We, and by that John means both the apostles in particular and humanity in general, we have seen His glory. So it's been revealed. But John tells us that Jesus' glory is also unique or special because it's the glory as the only Son of the Father. It's something that Jesus has and no one else. It is a complete or final glory, too, because John says that it is full in verse 14, and then reference again Jesus' fullness in verse 16. And lastly, we see that the glory of the Word is something that has been both extended by grace and received by grace. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. So what is it about Jesus exactly that captures all of this glory? What has Jesus, the great and final revelation of God, uniquely, completely, and graciously accomplished for humanity? What is it that we see in Him and receive from Him alone and no one else? Well, let's rewind for a minute. Let's remember that the Word is God and was with God, right? So, for all eternity, what is true? Jesus is in perfect, familiar, unbroken relationship with God Almighty. Remember that. But we also saw that the Word, Jesus Christ, is human and is with humanity. So Jesus is in perfect, familiar, unbroken relationship with us. And that's where we need to stop. And remember what our biggest problem actually is. You and I are distanced from God by our daily rebellion, our active disobedience, and our real sin. And you see, as a result, you and I actually deserve nothing but eternal damnation and punishment. So there exists this massive gap between rebellious humanity and a holy, perfect God. A gap that we cannot cross, and that we cannot span, and that we cannot close. In and of ourselves, you and I, and we must really believe this, you and I have no hope of finding satisfaction or contentment or anything resembling eternal life. 
But what is it that Jesus Christ actually and fully accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection? Where do we find Jesus' unique, complete, and gracious glory most marvelously displayed in our world? Jesus, who is with God and with man. It is Jesus Christ and Jesus alone who is our mediator, our go-between, our full and final Savior. Through His perfect obedience and through His atoning sacrifice, He literally and eternally closes the distance. He brings God and man back together. Not because you and I deserve it, not because we have merited it, not because we have been worthy of His grace, but because Jesus Christ, the Word of God, is full of grace and truth. The reality in a room this size, I don't know where we are this morning. <coughs> I can't know where you're looking for contentment and hope. You know, the scary reality is that I can't even know my own heart perfectly. But I have to tell you this. You're not going to find satisfaction at the bottom of a bottle. You are not going to find acceptance and belonging in that myriad of sexualized images that you keep looking at on your phone. You're not even going to find lasting security in your job, or your money, or your Chip and Joanna Magnolia-esque home. You're not going to find meaning and purpose in the obedience or the intelligence or the worldly success of your children. I know it's a lie that we love to believe, but we're not going to be saved by our standing in the community, or even by our service to the church. Why not? Because eternal life, lasting contentment, and real satisfaction have nothing to do with where you have been, what you have, what you've done, or even what you know. Eternal life is about who you know. Jesus Christ is the great revelation of God and the great hope of mankind. And as the Apostle Peter says in Acts chapter 4, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Earlier, again, the, the choir asked us a question, what child is this? According to John and to Holy Scripture, this child is the Word. This child is Jesus. This child is fully God 
and fully man. And through his life and his death, this child is the Redeemer, the Mediator, the Reconciler, the Savior. This morning, the Apostle John invites us to look to the Word, to lean upon this Jesus and Him alone for grace upon grace today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider Your Word And honestly, as we consider our lives, God, we are forced to recognize that we love looking other places. We love believing other truths. We love thinking that we are going to find life elsewhere. But God, you're very clear. And how gracious of you to be clear with us. God, you are clear that Jesus alone is the Savior. God, I I pray that today, in the quietness of even this moment, that we would examine our hearts examine our lives, examine our pursuit of life, of joy, of satisfaction, of contentment, of hope. God, where are we looking? God, I also pray that by your grace and through your work that we would look to Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.